I'm not ever really sure what ready is, but I know that we're going to have fun doing it. So thank you so much for being willing to make a second attempt to have this thing recorded all the way from Los Angeles, even though you live here. So could you tell us your name? Hey, and what about your uh, your other personality, your other creative oh, right. side? Yeah, some people might know me as Morgan Wood. That's my drag persona. Um, yeah, I discovered I discovered her like twenty eighteen in the summer, and um, yeah, it's been a it's been a journey since then. Would you say you've had lots of support? Like, or has it been something that's developed and built, like, from the people around you in particular? Like, friends and then the community that's here in Berlin for this. Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, the drag scene in Berlin is, I mean, Berlin's not a huge city, so the drag scene is actually relatively small. Like, I mean, I, I know most of the drag performers uh, one-on-one to some extent, but it's, um, it's very supportive. It's, I mean, I started... I'm from the UK, from London, but I started doing drag here in Berlin. Um, so I don't really know how it compares to other cities, but I find it I find it super supportive and uh, welcoming and encouraging, not competitive. And but outside the drag community, yeah, I mean, like my, I had a lot of support and encouragement from friends and, and family that were curious or and or enthusiastic about me doing drag. Um, uh, for example, I mean, my my mother, for example, when I told her I was doing drag, she asked me if this meant that I was, I was trans, which at first like maybe irritated me a little bit, but I realized that was a, a teaching moment. She, once once she, I mean, of course I could be trans. I happen not to be, um, and once she understood that, it was there was no question about the support. Um, in that area and I mean my friends in Berlin like when I started doing doing the drag a lot of people actually gave me stuff like makeup and clothes and whatever that they didn't use anymore so I kind of had a built-in um, starter pack <laughs> to drag a lot of people start drag with um, like a drag family so they have someone who helps them get in drag the first time that wasn't so much my case although I did have some friends already doing it and but it was more kind of on the side rather than direct influence. Uh, but yeah, I found it really, people are, people are, people like it when you express yourself. And that's, this is a way that I've found to express myself that, um, also entertains people. So it's a kind of a win-win. Well, Morgan has good taste in music. Nearly every time I've gone, I've, I've been very, <laughs> very pleased with your decade of choice that lands well with me which is 60s 70s uh and also sometimes i don't know the music and i think wow that doesn't ever happen to me you know like if it sounds like it's from a particular time period i it's like i have the encyclopedia like ingrained in my dna i would like or you know i've done it myself actively also having my access to my record collection that was of my parents uh at that certain time period, I just developed on that. But as far as your aesthetic, like this is a visual aesthetic that you've developed because of how much you think is 
due to quite often finding things on the street, like you said, people are also giving you stuff. So you kind of, not that you're ramshackle, but you have a Berlin aesthetic because you're literally finding things. You're like, oh, that's cute. I like that. Oh, I could do, I could fuck with this and make this look like this. And is it, where are the ideas? Like, you know, does a, does a, uh, a particular get up inspire you to find a song or or an act that you're trying to get across like which which come which often comes first like a song you're really vibing on or like a because sometimes your stuff's political as well which i find really interesting <clears throat> you know you're not prone to having signs and and giving us a message thanks yeah i mean yeah for me the when i'm creating a performance it's usually the music which comes first and i have to like Thanks for pointing out that you appreciate my musical choices. Often they're actually not my choices. I mean, I'm obviously the one doing them, so ultimately I'm making a choice, but I have to credit a lot of that to my partner, Larry, who, who you've interviewed here before, right? Uh, he is a, yeah, I mean, he knows maybe everything about music. I don't know. <laughs> pretty, um, pretty close. Yeah. He... Uh, will suggest songs to me that he thinks that I that would work or that he thinks that should would be funny. Often he'll suggest something, and at first I'm like, mm, I don't know, that's not really my thing. And then I I try it, I kind of warm up to it, and I make it my own actually. Um, but often the, I mean, so these song choices that that no one's ever heard of <laughs> usually come from him. Um, and to be honest, I'm that really works for me because I actually have a very limited musical knowledge. Uh, I think in the time of my like teenage years when people perhaps more typically get into music, I was um, I was I was trying to hide actually, so I wasn't really paying attention to the, the, the cultural zeitgeist of, of what was happening in music at that time. So I mean of course I do have references like growing up in the being born in the eighties, growing up in the nineties, I do have references to very obvious basic things like I don't know the Spice Girls let's say um but I've actually found that going to um going to places musically with my drag that I wouldn't have thought of is it actually makes my acts more interesting more fun more fun for me as well because I'm going outside of what I would normally think of and and it actually the I mean, ultimately, this creation of a drag persona, drag presence is, I'm the one channeling it, but, but it's, it's really, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a, a group thing. Like, I don't know if I could do all of this on my own. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting song suggestions from Larry. He also, I mean, he also designs clothes. So I've worn, I've worn things that he's made. And like you mentioned, finding things on the streets of Berlin, if you, if, people listening don't know that about Berlin. It's very common to find basically new clothes on the street. Um, relatively, I mean, you can find decent stuff, especially on this, it happens to be that we live on a street where there's, I don't know, every other day there's a new box of, of uh, hipster clothing. And I mean, I would say at this point, maybe 60% of my drag wardrobe is literally found on the street outside my apartment. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, in, in front of Jules's house. Is where the there's always a box in front of Jules's house. It's amazing. Yeah. But wigs, though, that's like another thing. Like you got gifted yeah, a really you've been you've your game has changed 
from the, so from the eye, eyebrows up because you've been, <laughs> you know, you started with this, you kind of, you graduate to this, then you start having people trim it, and then you start to have right. expensive ass wigs. You got it. Yeah, so I started with just like, like Halloween costume wigs, that <laughs> which is do. fine. That's a place for that in drag, absolutely. Um, but yeah, wigs are not something you find on the street in Berlin. And to be honest, even if I did, I probably wouldn't wear one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, wigs you can spend a lot of money on. It's I think it's worth it for the overall effect. I mean, wigs and makeup are really and shoes. I guess the only things I'm really spending money on for make for drag. Um, but yeah, it makes a huge difference to the overall silhouette. Like, of course, close up, it makes a difference visually very immediately, but like it can make a huge difference to the overall impression. Because most people, when you're watching a drag show, you're seeing the, the performer on stage from a distance. So it's not right up close. So having that big silhouette makes um, makes a huge difference to the overall effect. Yeah, I mean, I would actually like to, to extend my wig wardrobe, but it's... I mean, I, I only have, I don't know, three or four, like, professional drag wigs. But, yeah, you can easily spend 100, 200 and up euros on, on a wig. I mean, I don't, they get more expensive if you want to wear human hair wigs, which I don't I find that idea really creepy, actually. <laughs> um, also, it's more more maintenance. They take a lot more um, styling and stuff. Synthetic wigs, you can just freeze into place with hairspray. So, um, but yeah, the whole, the whole transformation part of, of drag is really, I find it really fun, like doing, learning how to do makeup. I mean, I taught myself basically how to, how to do makeup and there's no one way to do drag makeup. Um, and I just, I just learned by copying what I saw other people do and finding what works for my face and what I liked. Um, and Actually, to be honest, I had a lot of uh, success, maybe, or I learned a lot by experimenting when I was doing drag shows online um, during the like the lockdown period in 2020, 21. Um, I was much more creative and uh, take risks with my makeup because I wasn't about to go on stage. <laughs> um, when I know I have to go on stage, I, I like to keep it to what I know usually, but that's mean, meant that I've, yeah, I've never been formally trained in any way to do makeup and I, I just do what works for me. Often people see, when they see my makeup, the people who wear makeup on a regular basis, like an everyday kind of thing, often say things like, oh, I bet you could do my makeup really well, or I could learn like loads of stuff from you about doing makeup. And I mean, if they want to look like a clown, but it's, <laughs> the makeup I'm doing is stage makeup is totally different than everyday makeup like I'm doing all kinds of things that you wouldn't normally do if you're just a casual makeup wearer. like I'm covering up my eyebrows with glue so I can re reshape my eyes I'm correcting like where my beard grows so that you don't see the, the, the five o'clock shadow and all kinds of things like speckling and plastering over to make smooth surfaces which uh if you're just wearing makeup, like you just want a bit of eyeshadow or blush or lipstick, like that's not really, it's not really comparable. Um, but I do like, I do find it funny that people think that. And then, yeah, we, make, so I mean, yeah, makeup, wigs, outfits, those are... And body, body additions. Right. 
yeah, so I, I, I often wear padding on my, on my hips and my butt to give a, to a, di- a different silhouette, basically. So, um, a lot of drag perform, drag queens, um, will wear corsets to like cinch in the waist and then you can exaggerate the hips like that. I don't, I'm, I'm not about doing that because it's just super uncomfortable, but. Well, you fashion yeah, like your own. Sense. You figured out, you have a YouTube like doctorate in drag. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. Maybe a master's, Maybe. working your way towards a doctorate. Maybe I don't know. That's that's generous already. Thank you, Brody. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean you can learn anything on YouTube now. I mean, there's no. And and the things that I, I mean, even like wig styling, for example, I'm not really interested in doing that. I would rather just pay someone to do it for me. So I mean, with drag, you can always. That's what I mean about it. it's not just sure it's me on stage, but ultimately, like it's a there's a team behind the whole, the whole look, the whole performance, ultimately. It's more than just one person. Yeah, I mean, you're really good at getting the crowd involved. I think it's interesting, and I appreciate that you bring some classics back, like your, the one with the mop, for instance, my favorite. <laughs> and uh, that you also encourage everybody in the room, no matter who they are or what expression they are at that time, to come ask you any questions or if you have interest in being uh, a performer that you, you right. started from nowhere and you wanted, you're, you're more than willing and able and happy to show other people. And you're also, at least I believe, like you're, you don't, you know, you don't, you didn't reinvent the wheel. And so you really appreciate, you like really appreciate your drag mother and you're always very grateful to this person, you know, that has helped give you what seems to be a start or some support right. so yeah. it's great you're, yeah, you're, so. you're not yeah you're un, very unselfish drag performer <laughs> <laughs> thanks for saying yeah i mean i got my my first performance at a drag show was just by turning up i mean what what is it they say you spend enough time in a barbershop you'll end up getting a haircut right so i i was going to drag shows in berlin and just ended up on stage as part of like from the audience randomly and then realized oh i would actually like to try this myself and yeah i got my first performance at a a show where exactly that the host was encouraging people who'd never tried it to to get up and try drag and so i like to carry that on uh in my in my shows and i've yeah i've also um given space made space for for people to do that in my show and i really i think it's that's what I mean about this. The the scene in Berlin is very. I think I find it very supportive and, and uh, welcoming. Like people are encouraged to try things they haven't tried, and and audiences are happy to see it because. I mean, I mean, what it. I mean, ultimately, what is a drag show without the audience? The audience is part of the show, and so getting them involved and allowing them to also express themselves on stage for or just in the audience either way is I think super important and I mean yeah I wouldn't be here doing this if if, if I hadn't been in an environment like that so I want to create that for other people and you were hosting and continuing to bring other people into the mix with you uh prior to corona it was it was like really ramping up it was mm-hmm. just full of uh recovery people full of like half at least it was such a nice it was it was like fellowship with drag it was like fellowship drag 
in a bar, of course, and most of us right. were sober, but like that's not the point, you know? It was really enjoyable. And then mm-hmm. Corona came. Mm-hmm. And do, so, you know, fast forward however fucking long, two and a half years or something. Yeah. So uh, we were just talking before this about how you're, you are inclined now being in LA and things changing and it, I don't know, having not performed there, I suppose, as well, I believe, mm-hmm. to try and kind of get your feet wet there again. And then to that, that means also coming back here to Berlin when you do uh, and lining up the bar again to go indoors or would you continue doing what you're doing in Corona time where you're allowed to be, you were doing like drag brunch outside in Berlin. Right. What do you, what do yeah, you, so, what's your plan? Well, okay. So for just for context, I guess um, for people listening that, yeah, I started my shows in a little bar in Berlin which I don't know at most when it was packed it would hold I don't know 80 people maybe but that was like shoulder to shoulder before COVID obviously and then during the lockdown I was doing shows online which was a totally different but also valuable experience and then when we were able to we were I was doing the shows again back in person indoors but with a very limited audience and that that felt that's when I realized oh this this bar is too small so that's how I reached out to these other venues in Berlin because there were, I mean, before Corona, there were, I don't know, five or six venues in the whole city where drag shows would happen. And my part of my, my thing was always to try and expand that and take it, take, take it to venues. You wouldn't normally expect to see it because I think there is, uh, an audience for it. I think people are really want to, they want to experience it, but maybe then unfamiliar with the scene or they don't, maybe don't feel welcome perhaps even, um, cause they just don't know about it. So I always wanted to take it to different kinds of places. So last year, 2021, when we could do outdoor things, I started doing a drag show in a beer garden. So that was, that was, that worked really well. And it had a lot of space so we could be outside and without a stage actually just performing like among the audience which was also kind of a new experience and 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 fun i think for everyone um that that was really popular and then i did a drag a brunch also which was kind of the first or second second maybe third drag brunch event in berlin so that's kind of a new phenomenon also which when i've told that to people here in la they're really surprised that drag brunch is not more popular because here it's like an everyday thing um so yeah, doing outdoor shows was great during the summer. Then last last autumn, twenty twenty one, in like September, October, I started doing. We were able to do events indoors again, and so I, I brought my show indoors to a slightly bigger bar, which may also be too small. But yeah, I put that on on hold while I'm in LA, and then when I come back uh, in March, twenty twenty two, I hope to restart it there. And I also have a couple of other venues which are not bars, um, lined up to do, potentially do shows or at least try out, see how it works. Um, because again, like, I think it's like, like before, before Corona, there were maybe only five or six venues where drag shows would happen. Now, since Corona, there's like two, three, it's it's reduced again. So I want to expand that and make it more accessible basically and more normalized in a way maybe mainstream i don't know maybe that's my next question actually or like observation and essentially uh i'd love to know what you know about it because i don't 
historically, but so like I think of Schoenberg, I think of mm-hmm. when you you know uh, normative gay cis right. male culture um, has been there. And yeah. I guess also, I would also venture a guess that that's where the performance has been prior to like queer drag, you know, like, um, right. I don't, and is that an umbrella term that even like lands or people talk about, but like, I don't know, pansy, you, you know, like there's a pansy has a troop and like mm-hmm. the, like monster Ronson's uprising of, of performance and like groupings of, of, of Queens and queers and, how how do you see yourself in this? Or do you feel like a a lone soldier, you know, or do you wanna do you wanna be the leader of the pack? Like, do you feel like you could could be the could you drive the bus, you know? <laughs> I mean, at my own shows, sure. I don't necessarily. I'm not trying to like become the queen of Berlin, right? I'm not. I don't think that's necessarily a title that needs needs to have one and only one leader of but I mean I like to do my own thing and involve all kinds of people and make it open to everyone um I mean I guess I should say something we didn't mention I think in this is my perception at least in Berlin there are kind of two separate drag scenes there's the German drag scene which has a lot more right history here obviously it's um probably i mean i'm actually not very familiar with it so i'm speaking in in assumptions but from what i've observed at least it seems more yeah cis male normative in terms of the performers and the crowd yeah whereas the scene i'm more involved in i guess i would call it the international scene so it's a lot of uh, performers in Berlin who are not from Germany, or at least not from Berlin. I mean, also, also there there are also German performers in that scene, of course, but it's majority non-German, and and then shows happen in English, for example. Um, so of course, there's a cultural and linguistic divide uh, in terms of the audience that comes. Um, I don't know, I. I say that I could host a show in German, probably. I oh, really want to. definitely. I would like to see even just a song, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What about Edelweiss or something like that? Sure. <laughs> and I mean, that's a big part of, I have a couple questions and like, uh, that they all kind of loop in and around one another. But like you came to Berlin for a particular reason and be- behind you, you had already become a, a scholar in linguistics and you were writing a blog about vegan food and these are intersections that are really interesting if someone doesn't know you it's just such a great it's like that's your soup it's so interesting to me because like you're you, I don't know if you didn't mention it or not but it's a vegan brunch the one that was the last brunch. the one I was doing yeah. no it wasn't actually oh. I would have loved it to be yeah, that was my my ideal was to find a vegan restaurant that would host a drag brunch. So that would be like that's the goal. The place I found was not be they had vegan stuff, but it wasn't a vegan restaurant. Um, yeah, unfortunately, but that's maybe next summer. <laughs> Do you think you can be funny in German? I bet you could. I don't know. 
that's the thing. I mean, yeah, I speak German. I spoke German before I moved to Berlin. That's one of the reasons that I decided to move there. Um, I don't use it that much. I mean, at least not socially. So I don't have much ex practice in being funny. I could probably learn to. I just don't know if I want to. I like, I mean, I say that, of course, before Corona, it was a different kind of a different situation. Like a lot of, I think a lot of my audience were tourists, actually, in Berlin to my shows. So, of course, having the show in English makes it more accessible. Even even without that, like there are tons of people living in Berlin who don't speak German or don't speak it well enough to go to a drag show, perhaps. Um, and I think that makes up actually a significant part of the population and the crowd that I'm trying to reach, because that's kind of... Like women yeah. and femmes and queers and, yeah. Sure. But yeah, like, but yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I, I mean, everyone, I want, I want it to be accessible to everyone. Of course, doing it in English means it's not accessible to people who don't speak English. Perhaps. But financially, I mean, I you're also not asking for a... a... Right. You never ask yeah, at that, the door. You ask. That's important. Yeah, that's important for me that the show is accessible at point of entry, if you like. So, like, I don't charge. I prefer. I have yet. No, I have not done that ever in Berlin. I have not charged entry at an uh, to an event because yeah, I want people to be. I mean, I want it to people to be able to come spontaneously and just turn up. But also because if people feel that they can't afford a ticket, they can still come enjoy the show and then. The way that I like to do it is we collect tips at the end of the show because then people have already seen it. They know what they might want to spend on it. Um, and people who can, who have the means, can pay more. And those who don't can pay less. And, and that, I think that works really well. Over the years at different houses that you've lived in, there's been a chalkboard. And on it is often motivational things, always. There's different <laughs> time periods of like... You know, right. sometimes it's like the whole taffel is like places we want to go. Sometimes yeah. it's like the meals that were cooked, you know, things that we've figured yeah. out, you know, like these are these banging dishes. And I've had lots of those dishes at your house over the years. <laughs> I am grateful to that so much. So good company. Um, so being away and traveling has been something mm -hmm. you've done prior to to residing in Berlin and food you've has your stomach led you <laughs> to where you decided to travel and then like a, a lot of these dishes that might turn into something in the future that i don't know if you're willing to talk about or not um in and around that might can also kind of melt with drag do you think that um like how i'm asking you a question i know the answer to which is how important is food to you and the answer is very <laughs> yeah i mean Sure, that's, I didn't thought about it like that, the whether food motivated me to travel in the first place. It probably. It does for me. Oof. Yeah. So for, yeah, again, for, I guess for context, like um, in 2013, I, well, I, I used to teach English as a foreign language in a couple of different places in Europe. And then in 2013, my, my ex-partner and I decided to travel kind of indefinitely without a uh, an idea of when or where we would move to or if we would move anywhere and then uh we, we spent basically a year in south america traveling around and that's where i started as brody mentioned that this vegan blog uh which became my kind of my business i was a freelance writer writing for different online publications and yeah it was while yeah essentially it was while i was there 
was maybe a weird place to decide this, that I decided to go vegan. Um, and I kind of did it overnight. And then when I came back to Europe, somehow the idea of moving to Berlin just made sense. And that kind of solidified the the decision to, to go vegan because it's, it was a super easy. I mean, at the t- I mean, now it's even easier, but at the time, 2014, it was um, like the vegan capital of Europe, maybe. Uh, and that was part of the decision to move to Berlin, to, to be honest. I mean, speaking German already, knowing some people there, it being an affordable city, um, and then, yeah, the food also. So setting up a, ba- a home base in Berlin in 2014, yeah, uh, but still traveling to other places. And yeah, those places were partly decided based on food, I guess. You're right, I hadn't thought about it that way. Um like I actually, the internet just reminded me the other day that I traveled to Taiwan six years ago. Mm. And definitely one of the reasons I went there was because it's a super easy place to be vegan. Actually, the pictures that Facebook showed me, it's like, I found this like uh, fully vegan supermarket, which was huge, enormous, like much bigger than anything you'd see in Berlin. Um, and yeah, I mean, Taiwan, I don't know, to be specific, has like a historical, cultural, uh, um, there's a there's a norm uh, around veganism which is related to buddhism and so eating there was very easy and fun because of that so that was part of the appeal um yeah, was, but, was there much street food then there in taiwan did you could you eat on the street um that's probably where it failed well just my understanding about how to find out or how to communicate about it would fail. So going going to restaurants is always easier because you could, uh, I, I mean, I could speak, when I went to, to Taiwan, I could speak a little bit of Chinese, but I couldn't read at all. So uh, reading, like, <laughs> You had the phonetics. To, That's so interesting. Yeah, being able to read a menu was not possible. So uh, street food was kind of off the table at that point, but, um, yeah, I, yeah, helping, speaking, yeah, I mean, it was also, speaking the language is also kind of uh, tied to traveling for me, like, I, I really like going to places where I can communicate, and it makes it, it's just more fun, more, uh, more interesting, and more kind of, I, I feel like I get a deeper insight into the, the place, and the people, and their lifestyle, um, so, I mean, that's, I've traveled a lot in Spanish-speaking places for that reason, because I speak fluent Spanish, and uh, going places, for example, like when in 2013, when my ex and I traveled around South America, we spent more or less the whole year in South America, but we didn't go to Brazil. And part of that was because I couldn't speak Portuguese and I wasn't really interested. Um, you did not have another one in your hat. You couldn't, you didn't have a, the, the space in your mind for, to well, open another drawer and put Portuguese in there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, not formally at least, I mean, I have since been to, to Brazil briefly and, and Portugal and, and realized like, oh, I mean, I can read this language easily, no problem. And talking, like I can understand people more or less when they speak. So yeah, I mean, my capacity for that is, is reasonably good. So I'm, I'm great. Makes it easier. But I mean, I mean, it's also obviously a huge privilege being an English speaker because it's like, I mean, ultimately the lingua franca that everyone wants to learn. So it's usually not a problem to communicate. 
Does that mean you're an, like an autodidact? So you mean a self-taught? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Because you developed one from the other, right? Right. You yeah. given I mean, English. I, learned... <laughs> mm-hmm. I was given English. I learned Spanish, German, and French at school. And then, like, formally, I learned them formally. And that worked well for me. I, know, I mean, it doesn't work for a lot of people. I think the way that languages are taught is actually kind of... Having been an English teacher myself, I actually think a lot of the way that, like, the, the systems that we use for teaching foreign languages, I mean, it's changed a lot. But when, like, when I was learning that they're actually not very accessible, it happened to work well for me because I'm that kind of learner. But I think it did not work for a lot of people. I could see that in my, like, among my peers. Um, but yes, having that base has really enabled me to, to, dabble with other languages like with Chinese I taught myself um, or yeah figuring out how to pass Portuguese or Italian based on knowing French and Spanish is yeah I guess that's a, a skill that I have I'm, I'm grateful to have that <laughs> it makes it makes things more fun do you remember how we met how did we meet did we meet through Larry I guess. And you were yeah, so, friends at the time only, or, or had... I so like... it was... Yeah, so I met Larry in, what, uh, 2018. And we were... I mean, I guess we were dating. He might not have said that at the, at the time. He might not have given it that label. But um, he talked a lot about his, uh, his recovery and his spirituality and his higher power and I was very curious about these things and <laughs> what he was talking about but I was like this sounds like it works and I think I want some of that for myself so I figured out or he helped me figure out I guess that um, there are other programs of recovery for people who are not necessarily substance addicts and I came to one of them and, and met you uh, on a Monday? Yeah, it was on a Monday. And yeah, that was more than three years ago. Actually, just maybe I didn't tell you this the other day here at an, a meeting in LA, I got a, a, a three year chip. Oh, that's so cool. I saw it. That's so, um, I have chip envy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we don't have chips in Berlin for this no. program. But, um, Was it metal? Yeah. It looked metal. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, it's like a coin. So that was that felt like a, uh, that was really nice. Um, and for me, I mean, I started doing drag just a few months, actually, before finding recovery. And so for me, they're actually quite connected. I mean, well, they're kind of parallel, I guess, in a way. They're parallel. Um, train tracks if you like like they go one together because they're both ways or recovery gives me the insight and the tools to look at my my history and drag gives me a way to express it in the present um you put that on your tombstone yeah, that was good, right? <laughs> that could be your little catch line. Instagram, either Instagram or Headstone, you choose. Totally, yes. I, same, I, same thing, basically, these days. 
to me as though you're it's it like I don't know yeah it kind of spills over into your everyday life and expression as well in a way that I because I used to see you constantly um yeah. going to the same spaces which I it was a couple times a week and now it's like yeah. I guess one we don't go to Mondays anymore fuck Monday <clears throat> sorry everybody that goes to Monday and they're not listening <laughs> they might be um, and I'm kidding, uh, just cause, I mean, Larry's crafty and like, it looks to me like you have a, a chic new do Larry. I don't know if you managed to do that yourself this time, but no, it's, no, I haven't had my, Larry's been cutting my hair for like three years and I'm so grateful cause I hate going to the hairdresser. I mean, forget about it. You're always yeah. on, you're on it and you always, you know, every other, like at least once a month, you'd have like a nice little alteration that feels like. It was like you get you get a freshen up, but like a like a different. It steers you in this other slight direction. It's really cool to, for me to see. Anyways, it's um, yeah. it's heartwarming, and also um, Larry being a glasses person, I actually messaged Larry today because I was like, I'm ready to find some glasses, and I was like, where do I get glasses? I was researching, and I, I might as well just be talking to the wall, or if I'm trying to use a computer <laughs> to research something, 
And I was like, I'll just message a couple people and ask Larry, and Larry reminded me of Arcona Platts. Maybe that's where yours that are on your head right now came from? Yeah, certainly, yeah. Yeah. He picked them out for me. Yeah, I, I owe him a lot to do for my start. I mean, I didn't... Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, as like as a teenager growing up, I didn't... I felt very self-conscious of my, of my appearance. I didn't feel like I necessarily had my own style. I was just trying things out. And at one point, I did, I did, I did care about how I presented in terms of my appearance. But then, as I got older, I think I rejected that. In my twenties, I would just dress kind of however functional, basically, sure. which is totally something too. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I realize now that I was, I was um, rejecting that kind of form of my expression. Um, and so having, it's, it's kind of come, it's come back since, since doing drag and, and the interesting thing, well, I don't know, maybe it's not interesting, but it was interesting for me to notice doing drag. And like, and like I mentioned earlier, my mom, my mom asking me that question, I was like, oh, does this mean you're trans? Um, I happen to be cis and it was doing drag and having that kind of question around me that, that led me to that clear realization that I am a cisgender person, which I think is something that most cisgender people don't have. They don't have a, like a moment or a experience that helps them realize that because the default is this. And so if you never question it, of course, you're going to just stick with that, which I don't know. I'm whatever it's maybe it's not interesting to anyone else, but I'm grateful to have had that experience because it gives me more clarity about my own identity and it gives and it gives me um more empathy for other people and their experience and yeah their uh yeah experience with with discovering the these aspects of themselves or not being a label labeling themselves or not and that i think is really necessary at the moment <laughs> and then on as a, like an interesting aspect because we have like our expression you know we have like what we wear and how we feel in it or like the outside can definitely affect the inside when it's by choice is like a nourishing uh self-affirming you know like yeah giving us agency um and you said that growing up maybe that you know you found your way into, into feeling better with who you are and not that you were saying it was specifically because of what you're wearing um but how much do you think berlin has helped because like in the way of i don't know riding over to the to the lake mm -hmm. and it being uh clothes optional slash no clothes um you know how how uh because you know one can gravitate to like teufelsee and then you know you might you'll see a couple maybe different sort of groups of people maybe generalizing right. here. And then if you go to the East and go to where, go towards Biesdorf and go to this other Kalsdorf place, um, it really is like a spectrum of bodies mm -hmm. and ages. And, yeah. and these are just visible cues that I'm seeing. Cause I don't know these people other than the people I'm sitting totally. with on blankets, but like how, how positive has Berlin been for you in that way to like, cause you're saying, I was hearing you say you feel uncomfortable and I'm thinking to myself, I've like been with you in so many different times in particular places that I never felt. I can notice my own discomfort in these spaces with my own gender. 
because um, it is expressed on the inside and uh, never really much on the outside. And actually, when my clothes are off, it's expressed quite the opposite, probably visibly to what other people would, as a human seer, be like, oh, okay, peg that person as a da-da-da. <laughs> Um, right. what about for you? So like this, that's a big, long question, but you know, I guess. Yeah. You're... I think you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, Berlin has made a big difference in that, in that I'm, because, hmm. yeah, I mean the, the, the clothing optional thing, for example, I feel I'm really grateful to have spaces like that because, um, I think I probably would have felt comfortable anyway um, before coming to Berlin in those situations I always I was I've, I mean I think I feel quite lucky maybe it's not lucky whatever I I have had the experience most of my life that I feel comfortable in my body and having a place where that's kind of normalized and people can be uh, can be naked around each other in a non-sexual way is actually really healthy. Um, yeah. I, I often think like in those circumstances, like imagine being a kid growing up in this environment, like how that. I've thought of that. How, how, great, how, how great, how great would that be? You, probably, you wouldn't notice it obviously if you were a kid, but like, yeah, it can also go the other, you know, it can polarize the other direction too. I think, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But you're right, because you, myself included, and probably most people we know, North American people or British people, mm. non-DDR people, we could yeah. even say. Um, yeah, any I guess any Western person is quite stigmatized, the body, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. The fear on yeah. the body is, is immense. Totally. It's just a I mean, was, layer of control. I was here, here in, in Southern California with a, a, a friend was driving us me and Larry to um to the beach outside of the city and we had read online that this beach had a clothing optional area we got there and there was a big sign saying nudity prohibited oh. and there was definitely no nude area so that was that been quashed I guess like no one no one wants to risk it because yeah like you said it's it's stigmatized it's and it's I don't know, that's what I appreciate about the, that culture in Germany, that it's just, that it's normalized to a large extent and it's not sexualized. I think that's important. It's, yeah. It's just neutral. It's a neutral. There's a few things for me anyways. I notice how, because of recoveries, how clothes are an additional, they've never been something that I found to be particularly one way or the other necessarily as far as like an attraction spectrum goes but I think clothes on like you know we also live in a northern climate so everyone wears clothes you know and we're also in like a the year 2022 and for the most part most of the world is wearing clothes you know um and has been wearing clothes for uh, you know uh how I've noticed like the more, because we've been wearing masks for two and a half years, I find masks attractive now, you know, like, I also, okay. like, you know, there's, it's not as much like, oh, I wonder what's under that mask, like, oh, that, you know, it, it's like, we're all, 
under this mask and we're all uh, also under these clothes for the most part. So I, I find it really interesting that like, as my, as I heal all that kind of stuff, like the person under that is the most interesting part of it. And that person right. isn't sexualized and, right. and nor, nor am I sexualizing underneath the mask. But I think it's so interesting, like how, you know, it's like we have learned, if not inherently, just by probably needing interaction slash it being healthy to do so, like how much more we use our eyes now and how much we notice people differently, you know? And yeah, like how how often are you finding yourself going, how dressed for the night of performing are you before you, when you travel through town to get to a show? Like, do you feel safe to dress in a oh. different expression? Yeah. Um, when I'm going, so in, in, in Berlin, at least it's normal to arrive at a, at a drag show ready. People don't usually get ready there because there's not often space. So, <laughs> uh, I personally, I mean, usually my means of getting around the city is on a bike or perhaps with public transport. I usually don't do that when I'm about to perform, though, because I don't really feel comfortable being in that public. Or it's just not convenient because I have to carry a lot of stuff or whatever. So I usually take a car. Um, I have occasionally gone on a bike, not in full drag, but in full makeup, for sure, uh, or, on the or on the bus or the U-Bahn. It's just not usually practical to do that, so I usually end up taking a car. But I think mm, I, I have been on public transport in full drag uh, with someone accompanying me. I probably I, I don't think I would do it alone, at least not in the at night time. And I haven't had any. Definitely, I've definitely not experienced violence, but I have had like people shouting things at me. More cat um, calls, and is it neighborhood? I didn't want yeah. to ask about it being neighborhood specific. Is it more attraction, or kind of like, do you think that people are like, "Whoa, hey, babe," or is yeah. it? Yeah, that's cute. That's, well, yeah, it's. But maybe I mean, not. I don't, I don't. I don't have this experience on an everyday basis, so I don't know what it's like for people who do. But probably awful. It doesn't feel. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. It's not the kind of attention I get on stage, at least. Yeah. It's not it's celebratory. It's it's objectifying. Yeah. So, um, but that's what you were mentioning about clothes and stuff. Just made me think about how yeah, that's that's really why I like the description of drag as genderist performance because it's taking all these these aspects of gender that we associate with inanimate objects, basically clothes and things that we're adding to our appearance and uh using them as it's it's a commentary on like how arbitrary and ridiculous it is that this thing is considered feminine this thing is considered masculine and actually a lot of my i mean a lot of my favorite drag performances mix the two and use use them kind of also arbitrarily and uh i'm, I'm speaking of i mean my aesthetic is pretty heavily feminine in the in the conventional way i would say but i I'm talking about other people's performance. I like people who mess mess with those two things and mix them up and make something make something else. I think that's yeah, yeah. If somebody's body, they can like go off like a full circle, even mm -hmm. or even if they even if it's still whatever. Even if some people read it one way or the other, it doesn't matter. The intention is to. Um, yeah, the, I guess 
just to fuck with it and start a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Make, make people make people go. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see. We. I mean, we know that these things are arbitrary because they change throughout culture and history. Like high heels were first invented for men, for example. So interesting, hey. So I mean, these things are cyclical. They're culturally specific, and they're subject to change. So why not play with that? Have you noticed as your recovery? proceeds um that you feel more comfortable on stage or managing a crowd for the lack of a better word yeah. <laughs> maybe working a crowd yeah absolutely making more money okay. uh-huh. <laughs> All of the above. yeah i mean it's i mean it's also experience i've had more and more experience as i've and, the, and that's how they go parallel my recovery and my drag career because i've been doing them side by side um, but yeah, being being more comfortable with myself and understanding myself better and being able to make fun of myself is something that has come with recovery for sure and, being, and bringing that to a stage and letting the crowd in on that is something that I think, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do right at the beginning of my drag career, which makes sense even without recovery because, of course, I'm not... Well, I mean, maybe maybe some people are just born to be on stage from the minute they first do it, but hmm. I don't think I was one of them. So yeah, that's how I mean. I mean, they're inextricably linked together. I can't I can't necessarily just detangle them from one another. But yeah, definitely, I have got more comfortable and more playful on stage. I think. And being somebody who, uh, well, I know this part about you whether whether you know i don't know where it's at but i know historically um being a non-monogamous person um as you go through life and like i noticed for me anyways in performance you don't there's not a lot of it's camp sexy stuff you know and we were talking about sexualizing things like aspects of 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 presentation or whatever but like poly non-monogamy isn't something that i have noticed that you know the purpose isn't just uh to to be getting your kicks constantly you know it's not so, it's not a tool for sexualization how right. like do you let's say going into the next performance do you do you have things that you want to challenge yourself with like be it topics or does it come from a personal like exploration like being willing to go to 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 go there, you know what I mean? Like, for instance, I guess what I'm trying to say is I haven't, you kind of spoke about a lot of stuff in your shows, but none of it has necessarily been about directly love or sex. Really? As a personal experience, or like, it didn't seem like it was tied to. Because I feel like you have a really good balance or something I look up to the way that you work a program and have maintained uh, a healthy relationship and haven't like circumnavigated your own morals around what that what that's looked like for you for a long time around non-monogamy have you ever thought about bringing that into your performance is that something that is there because i feel like i haven't I, seen it there okay i thought i had brought it in but maybe maybe, maybe i missed that was, one well also maybe i did it in such a way that was uh vague enough or 
uh, or actually maybe specific enough to me that people didn't notice. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, it might be an unanswerable question. It's totally like an observation from somebody that knows you well, which is kind yeah. of one of the reasons I enjoy doing this, because I get to ask these questions. Mm, I mean, it's a, it's a, I'll definitely be thinking about that now, because now I'm not, now I'm questioning. Maybe there are, maybe there are things that I don't want to bring on stage, because yeah. it's too personal or too totally. comfortable, or, or just not relevant, perhaps. Um, yeah, no, the book doesn't need it, to be completely open, all the pages flapping in the wind. Right. And I like to keep some, to some extent, some distinction between uh, my dra like drag persona and drag performance character and, and my everyday, everyday person. <laughs> um, I don't, like, for example, I'm not interested in I don't think this is necessarily anything to do with what you're asking, but I'm just going to go go here. Uh, I'm not interested in bringing my drag into my sex life, for example. Yeah, and that's totally what I'm asking about. Oh, okay. Well, but Very I mean, much. like, whichever way, you know, which way, what the origins are, like, where is it stemming or what's it feeding off of? Like, where is the, I love the idea of where it's going and where it, and because of, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's really cool to know, and that seems logical. Yeah, I mean, some people do do want to, I don't know, have sex in drag or or, or fetishize that. I I don't. It's a performance. It's self expression, and there are, I do get attention from people who clearly that is they are interested in that. Um, that they find they find me sexually attractive as a drag queen, for example, mm -hmm. and that's fine if you do. I don't. Like whatever, I'm not yucking on anyone's yum, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't really want to hear about it. <laughs> um, Does it happen often in person? Then at the show? In person, in person, almost never. And very occasionally, it's happened in person, but it mostly happens online. So oh, I get attention, yeah, on social media from people wanting to uh, interact with me sexually as a drag queen and good for you uh, but i don't i don't i'm not interested yeah i'm just yeah and that's you've heard it here thou shall yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe if they're paying i was gonna ask you that but i thought i mean i thought it would be a bit much yeah maybe like depending on what the bank yeah like not not in-person interaction no no but maybe photos i don't know <laughs> okay, I'm just going back on myself there. Right? Well, there's just a new, you know, there's a new revenue revenue stream here you're considering, you know. Perhaps. Yeah, but it's not it's not my thing. It doesn't it doesn't. It would it doesn't if do you'd anything. know. I mean, it would be it would yeah. have already come up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've made lots of space for it. Totally. I mean, you go and to your house totally... and there's still the white the like screen like you know like you're you're like ready to roll like you live in it. Your house is. Yeah. There's garments. I mean... There's like. Sam's That's, naming glitter, there's like f floodlights, you know, it's like, this isn't new. No, I, I mean, part of that is just logistical, like, the, it would, ideally, I would like to have a room that is specifically for that stuff in a future home, um, not because I want it to be 
not visible to people i don't i'm totally fine with it being on display but just for practical reasons it's more i don't know to keep it keep it in its own spaces would be nice that's that's a goal but yeah no i'm very transparent about it i have no i'm not trying to hide it from anyone no there's no shame no that's that's exactly why i do this actually to 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 not have shame about it (laughs) and you're probably more than likely helping a bunch of people as well with their inherent or, you know, institutionalized, socialized mm-hmm. shame. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be, that would be a great side effect if that happens. I'm not. Oh, I'm, I'm sure not. it is. <laughs> um, thank you, Sam. That was really lovely. Yeah. Thanks, Brody. We've, uh, we did it the second time. Like it was nothing. The first time you and I were really trying hard to figure out the, the tech side of it. And it was just, I, if it comes to tech, it's like, for me, it's out the window. I don't know. But I, fig- I, I did figure it out. It took a little bit of just not thinking about it to be like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> FaceTime on my computer that works now and a recording thingy on my phone. It's like, it's the right amount of tech. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. And it's zero producing quality. That's okay. Um, much appreciated, Sam. Yeah. No, thank you. Thanks for asking me. I really, I really, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you and you and your questions were really uh, thought provoking. I'm definitely going to be leaving this with some, some new things to consider. Mm. <clears throat> I'm glad you can. I know that you know me so you can understand my like formulation of questions because they are like kind of spontane or whatever but the idea is there and I'm like I'd like to talk to Sam about this, this, this and this, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I did these years ago I'd have like a little even just like bullet points and i just like fuck that shit you know like i know you really well like i'm just gonna i want to be this is you know it feels like a meeting i just had you speak for um <laughs> you, you know you you did a, a an extra long qualification <laughs> great well hopefully it helped benefit someone definitely <laughs> it's been a pleasure i'm just gonna i'm gonna push stop now and we're gonna keep chatting probably thank you great. sam thanks